Good morning. My topic today, well, let me first say thank you for that music and for the singing. I really appreciated that. My topic for today is Sozo's missing link, question mark. Sozo is an interesting word. It's first mentioned in scriptures in Matthew 1.21. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall sozo his people from their sins. I believe my friend and fellow medical missionary said it well, Dave Fiedler, author of the book, The Sozo, when he asserted that proclamation is the explanation of the demonstration. And not only do I find this to be a catchy soundbite, but I believe it correctly describes the Gospel Commission. Too often, don't we tend to teach the theory of a thing rather than the experience of it? You know, there is a place, I'm sure, for careful reasoning and systematic theology in fully understanding the gospel. But I also believe we must never forget that the gospel is primarily an experience, a faith experience, and not a dry theory or opinion. Jesus told his disciples as he left them to return to heaven to go and teach and heal all nations, teaching them to observe or keep his teachings and to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. We all know that it is not sufficient to observe or spectate the gospel. One must live the gospel and not be a mere spectator. You know, the spies came back at one point and told the Pharisees that never man spake like this man spake. Ellen White writing about that said, never man spake as he spake because never man lived as he lived. I think I have forgotten to use my pointer. Yes, I was a slide behind. There's the statement from I first heard from Dave Fiedler. You know, we're told that in the spirit of prophecy that many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christians. What a sad thought, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I have spent my share of time and continue to, to ponder this matter because I might be lost while hoping to be a Christian. What a sad thing to happen. But it's because they do not yield their will to God, we're told. We, we need to understand the true force of the will, the power of choice. We must now choose to be Christ. We must now choose to do what Scripture teaches, what we know is right. We cannot wait for it to happen to us like a rain shower or a gust of wind. It is a choice that we make by God's grace and in his strength. So proclamation is what we tend to focus upon. 
We want to proclaim the three angels' message. And that is indeed our calling, our mission. But don't we too often leave out the demonstration? It is said that people do not care what we know until they know that we care. There was a reason that during his ministry, Jesus devoted more time to healing the sick than to preaching. We read this in the book, Desire of Ages. Wherever he went, the tidings of his mercy preceded him. He, you know, it is his plan that we work as he worked. He demonstrated it. He taught it. He lived it. He explained it. And he bequeathed it to us as his disciples in the Great Gospel Commission. We are commissioned to relieve the physical sufferings of our neighbors, those with whom we come in contact. Certainly this includes feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, comforting the bereaved, but it also includes healing the sick. In fact, we might correctly say that it especially includes healing the sick. Why do, why do I say especially, one might wonder? Well, the answer is twofold. First, because that is what Christ taught and demonstrated. And then second, because healing sickness is the specific means appointed, Jesus appointed, to authenticate or validate his power to forgive sin. When we think of the gospel, I think most of us think of forgiveness. That is like the core, the crux of the gospel. But do you realize that Jesus, it's one that Jesus has to authenticate his power. And certainly he did to the, to the uh, doubting Pharisees of his time. Think about it. If Jesus cannot forgive sin, if he has no authority to take away my sin or guilt, then I'm just as lost as I ever was. And this Christianity thing is just fake good news. In his gospel, Luke, the physician, describes a special and critical teaching moment in Jesus' ministry of Sozo. And I mentioned earlier just a bit about Sozo, but let me just say a little more. Briefly, sozo is the New Testament word that the writers used to describe the work of the Messiah that was described in Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And these are the very words that Christ said were fulfilled in his ministry. Look in uh, Luke 4, uh, verses 17 to 21. I have it on the screen, and let me read it. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he looked, he found the place where it was written. So he, he basically turned to this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, 
and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And all the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Why was everyone in the synagogue looking intently at Jesus after he read those words? They were anticipating, I believe, what in fact happened. And then we read, uh, continuing on, 21, And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I'm not reading the rest of the story, but you may remember that what happened after that was they wanted to take him out and throw him over the cliff. They understood him to have claimed to be the Messiah. Well, Sozo is Christ's messianic mission of mercy. Did I go? Yes. Okay, my apologies. Um, I tried to highlight, and it's not showing up all that terribly well, but you can see the specific parts of that passage. This is the Messianic uh, proclamation or declaration, and he specifically said that that was his ministry, his ministry to a fallen world. So now let's look at Luke uh, 5, 17 through 25. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and scribes and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And um, if you are familiar with this, you know they weren't there as admirers. They were there as spies to catch any word that he might say that they could condemn and it says the spirit of the power of the Lord was present to heal. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, before Jesus. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon a housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Verse 21. I'm see if I read. Yes. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's true. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, Which is easier? What reason in your hearts? I'm sorry. Whether it's easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But, when, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. So what we see here 
is trying to highlight this for you is the reason that Christ gives in this particular instance for the healing of this man was that we might know that he has power on earth to forgive sins. There's so much, I mean, there's a whole sermon that can be preached strictly on this passage alone. Um, a couple of points I want to point out. For example, what was it that Jesus said immediately when the man was led down through the roof in front of him? He said, it says in verse 20, let's see here, verse 20, And when he saw their faith, is, is faith something visible that you can see? I thought, I didn't, I didn't realize that faith was visible. So how is it that he saw their faith? He saw their faith by their actions, did he not? He saw the determination to put this friend in front of Christ for healing. That I love that illustration. That is faith. And faith can be seen. It's like this it says the spirit is like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can sure see the trees and the leaves and the things blowing about, especially this time of year. But another important point here is that Jesus made it so explicit why he was performing this act of healing. And his first act was actually to forgive sin. The first thing he did was, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Then he healed him physically. You know, the fact that Christ has authority to forgive sin, without it, he would have been a complete imposter. It's like so many have written, and it's so true. Either Christ is, in fact, the Son of God, or he is one of the worst imposters, one of the most evil uh, men that could be, claiming to be what he is not. And I remember uh, I wasn't raised an Adventist. I wasn't raised a Christian. I was raised, mm, I don't know, I guess as an infidel. And I w became an agnostic in my teen years. And I came to the conclusion it was impossible to know if there was a God or not. It was uh, what we called an imponderable. And as um, a very pragmatic, uh, science-oriented person, I decided that it was, it was a question not worth wasting time on because you couldn't know. So why waste your time? Let's think about things that we can figure out and we can do. So when I became, um, when I was, uh, it's a long story I won't go into, but I, I was um, I attended a Bible study that I didn't care to be at, but it was just socially not a... It would have been too costly for me to refuse to go, shall we say. And uh, I attended this Bible study, trying to break it up. It uh, didn't work. And instead, I ended up learning about the prophecies of Daniel. And as a, I, was, I was an agnostic, but I was an, I was an honest person. And I, I thought, well, this is information I've never heard about and I attempted to validate it and when I did validate it and I realized that in Daniel events hundreds and thousands of years in the future had been accurately foretold I was faced with I needed an explanation for this and my conclusion was as many 
thank God, have had is I decided there is a God, and he does reveal secrets to the children of men. And so I became a believer. So when I became a believer, I was faced with another, um, if you're going to be honest, you have another issue to deal with, and that is what am I going to do about it? Okay, I acknowledge there's a God. I believe there's a God. Now, what, am I, what is my reasonable service? And I remember how I decided that I, uh, my work at that time, I was an IT guy. I was a software engineer. And uh, I wrote software and manuals to user manuals, how to use it. And I remember one of my frustrations was I would often get these phone calls, sometimes at inconvenient moments, from a a user who would say, well, it's not working like it's supposed to work. And I said, well, what's the problem? And he would describe it. And I would say, well, have you looked at page 10, left paragraph, left column, third paragraph? He says, well, what's that? And I said, well, read the manual. So I thought to myself, how can I complain to my designer if I've never read the operating manual? And I remember I decided I needed to read and follow the manual. Well, that little diversion from my story line this morning is simply to illustrate that Sozo is making to make man whole. You realize that, that Christ, as the second Adam, has purchased the right, the legal right, to restore all that was lost by the first Adam. When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost dominion of this world that was given to them. That's why Satan claims that it's his own. But Christ, as the second Adam, purchased the right to redeem all that was lost. In fact, the plan the, for the Messiah, the deliverer, the plan is, and the, and the prophetic plan, is that he will indeed restore and redeem and in fulfill the original intent and design of God in creating this world. To me, that's exciting. You know, anyone who's ever built or designed or made anything, you know the satisfaction of seeing it do what you intended it to do. It's exciting when you finally work out the last bug, as they call it in software. Anyway, and if you're, you're, I don't know, I'm not a mechanical engineer, but I've made a few things. Um, and it's exciting when you get, get everything to stop failing and start working like it's supposed to work. And I believe that God has got a plan, and he's going to enjoy that great satisfaction when this world does finally work as originally intended. Isn't it interesting that he even took that God took the Garden of Eden, basically put it, put it in the freezer, I mean, not really, but preserved it, and, and, and in the new earth, the Garden of Eden, not, a, not another imitation, but the Garden of Eden. You, you have, we have the privilege of spending time in the Garden of Eden. That's how real the, the restoration, uh, the sozo, is going to be. So, speaking back of this about forgiving sin and authenticating this um, by healing, 
it would, isn't it a little bit illogical for someone to believe that Jesus can forgive our sins without also believing that he can heal us? That he can, re, re, first off, that he can resurrect us in the resurrection? That he can heal us when we're sick? You realize that the same word of God that promises you forgiveness for sin promises you healing from sickness. Do you realize that? I, I've only, I wasn't raised Adventist. I've only been Adventist for 40 years or so. Uh, but I can tell you that my sense is that we are a little nervous about the idea of healing, but we're pretty comfortable with the idea of forgiveness. Thank, thank God. But I want to tell you that they both come from the same authority. They both come from the same God, from the same Jesus, from the same scripture. So yes, there are rare times like Job-like experiences where healing is delayed. I would point out to you that Job was healed. And so I know of instances where God's people do not receive the healing that we are all praying for them. But I know far more cases where they do. And as a physician, it's a, I don't know if there, I, there may be physicians in the audience or certainly a, uh, in the, the audience listening in, but as a physician, I can tell you one of the scariest things is being a physician responsible for healing someone. I cannot heal. I do not have any magical abilities to heal. I am dependent upon God. And it has been a tremendous blessing to me. I tell every patient, and if any of you have been or will become a patient of mine, you will confirm this. But I start off right after our introduction saying, you know, if you, if you don't mind, I would like to ask the great physician to be here to heal. And without him, I feel naked. I depend upon God, and I'm sure that you do too. Not in any way questioning that, but I'm trying to remind us of our dependence. And it's not us that does it. It's God. So now we know that Jesus has commissioned us to finish the sozo work that he began. The commission to his disciples is for us too. And what a glorious mission, actually, and life work. Can you imagine anything, actually, more exciting, a higher calling? I, I cannot. So then, has Christ given us any guidance and instruction on how we are to finish the sozo work he began, the commission to his disciples? Well, yes, he has. In ministry of healing, oops, I'm sorry, I seem to have gotten ahead of myself. In ministry of healing, uh, page 140, we read, Physical healing is bound up with the gospel commission. In the work of the gospel, teaching and healing are never to be separated. Oh, I'm sorry. There it was at the top of that slide. I didn't see it. So now, my apologies. I just read the top. And going on. In medical ministry and also in second selected messages, we read, The way in which Christ worked was to preach the word and to relieve suffering by miraculous works of healing. But I am instructed that we cannot now work in this way. For Satan will exercise his power by working miracles. 
God's servants today could not work by means of miracles because spurious works of healing claiming to be divine will be wrought. So we can see here that what he's saying is there will be tremendous confusion if, in fact, the way in which Christ's servants work was being counterfeited at the end time. How could, you, how could any reasonable, logical person sort it out? And so to prevent that, we are told that Satan will exercise his power to work miracles and, and that we cannot work as Christ worked. So the question then is, how are we to work? How are we to do this? You know, we're told elsewhere that Christ is just as willing to, willing to heal the sick now as when he was personally upon this earth. Statement from Desire of Ages. Well, let's look here in, in Second Selected Messages, page 346. We find this wonderful passage. Natural means used in accordance with God's will bring about supernatural results. We ask for a miracle, and the Lord directs the mind to some simple remedy. We are then to cooperate with God. We are to cooperate with God, observing the laws of life, of health. We are to eat the food that will preserve the health of the body. It goes on. We cannot expect the Lord to work a miracle for us while we neglect the simple remedies he has provided for our use, which, if aptly and opportunely applied, will bring about a miraculous result. Here we're instructed that it is Christ's plan to use simple, natural means, including such things as diet, hydrotherapy, charcoal, to bring about supernatural results, also known as miracles. While we cannot work by raw miracles, we might call it as Christ did and as the early disciples did, because Satan has counterfeited them, is going to counterfeit them, we can work using natural means in accordance with God's will. To me, this is exciting news. To me, this is things that, that I like to teach and show my patients the promise that these simple things, not only do they make sense uh, from the natural standpoint, natural law, but they have been explicitly stated as means that Christ intends to use in doing miracle, miraculous healing. So, in the paragraphs following the one that we read earlier, Medical Ministry and Second Selected Messages, we read this, that for this reason, the Lord has marked out a way in which his people are to carry forward a work of physical healing combined with the teaching of the word. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I was quite excited. I was, I was like, praise God, that's exactly it. How many times have you thought to yourself, You've had a, you faced a problem or a situation, you thought, I just wish God would just speak to me and tell me what to do. You know, if I could just know, what does God want me to do in this exact case? Well, here is a case where he has marked out a way for us to work. It's like he did it. So I, when I read this paragraph, I, I, wanted to, I, I didn't believe me. I did not pause like I'm having you. I moved <laughs> immediately to the next one. So what is the next way? What is the way marked out? Well... As we continue the next paragraph, sanitariums are to be established, and with these institutions are to be connected workers who would carry forward genuine medical missionary work. This is the provision the Lord has made 
whereby gospel medical missionary work is to be done for many souls. Do you know that sanitariums are basically invented by, started by, established by Seventh-day Adventists, by God's remnant people? Sanitariums arose first in a town not too far from here, as you undoubtedly are aware, in Battle Creek. There's the Western Health Reform Institute was the predecessor, but it wasn't called a sanitarium until in Battle Creek, actually. And we, if you, I invite you to do a little word study. Do a word search on sanitarium in the Ellen White's writings, Spirit Prophecy writings, and you will find that sanitariums have been explicitly uh, commissioned and established among God's remnant people as for this very purpose. What is it? the provision the Lord has made whereby gospel medical missionary work is to be done for many souls. You know, um, Satan reads the spirit prophecy writings. Did you know that? We're told that he actually studies the writings to know God's plans so that he can seek to thwart them. We have a very determined and clever enemy would it be any surprise to you if we were to learn that Satan seeks to turn this council here on its head and uh, to stop the sozo work that we are to do? He tries to lead God's people to think, for example, that the work of sanitariums is accomplished in a modern hospital. But this is not so. I'm not taking anything away from a hospital. I was trained in a hospital but, you know, Ellen White in the Spirit of Prophecy wrote about both hospitals and sanitariums. She uses both words in describing different institutions that she at different times recommends that we should have. She, did, she specifically recommended that we needed to have a hospital uh, in Australia while she was there, for example. But she also talked about the sanitarium that needed to be built in, in Sydney. So... Anyway, if you want details on that, there's, um, uh, in the General Conference Daily Bulletin of 1899, uh, she does that in one, in one section. She speaks of both. In the Upward Look, page 108, uh, she talks about both. So we are to have some hospitals. But, friends, don't miss this. The special focus, the reason we are here, the reason we're not Baptists or Lutherans, lovely and wonderful people. The reason the remnant church is here is to have sanitarium work. And if it's something new to you or you're outside of what you, 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 your current understanding is, I invite you to study that subject as I have spent lots of time studying it because I'm trained in and licensed in and operate work in a hospital setting oftentimes. But the fact is, our special work is sanitarium work, and are, we are in danger, are we not, of missing that point while we work instead in a different arena. And uh, so as I believe that as God's remnant people, we have lost sight of, to some extent, and forgotten how to aptly apply the simple, natural means and remedies God has promised to use to bring about his supernatural results. Some of us have heard of things like hydrotherapy or charcoal or health reform, health ch diet change, but how 
apt are we at actually using them? Well, I have good news for you. As a Loma Linda trained lifestyle medicine physician, I consider that a miracle. Someday I could tell you a personal testimony how at 48 years of age, God brought me into Loma Linda as a, as a freshman medical student. Um, amazing uh, miracles. I was, as I said, a college dropout. I think I told you that. I was a college dropout at 18. I dropped out of college and went into uh, computing and built up my own business. And it uh, never seemed like I needed a, a degree until I decided I wanted to become a doctor. And then for some strange reason, they insist that you have a college degree. Well, anyway, just joking there. But So as a Loma Linda trained physician, with years of experience using natural remedies, both in some of our lifestyle centers and in my own practice, and even before I became a physician, frankly, I had learned these things and was using them. But I routinely use these methods to treat disease. And God has been completely faithful, my friends. He's been completely faithful and blessed this work with remarkable results. That many people, many, I treat more non-Adventists than Adventists, and many of them will say to me, it seems like a miracle. <laughs> I believe it is a miracle, supernatural results. And after a while, you come to expect it. I hope I don't want to become presumptuous ever, but I literally believe and expect that God will uh, do these miraculous things. And so, as I will be talking with you a little this afternoon about the program we're going to do, a training program, I will share with you some of the results. Um, I'm trained in epidemiology and biostatistics, and so I know how to compute p-values and uh, uh, confidence intervals, and I will show you that statistically it is uh, it's not by chance. You follow these methods, you get remission of disease, and it's reliable, and you can, you can count on it with statistics. So it, it's my mission since, uh, you know, after I finished my training at Loma Linda, I worked for a while at uh, Loma Linda uh, in, on the faculty and did some research in the Marshall Islands on diabetes and a few other things. But ultimately, where I um, focused, my focus has come to be is uh, on training, training physicians, training non-physicians in how to use uh, lifestyle change to remove the causes of disease. You see, this, this world was not designed for you to be sick. Sickness was not part of the design. Now, you know that. Think about, though, what, it, what that means. What that means is that sickness is a result of something toxic, something that went wrong, something that deviated from the design. And we know it as sin. <laughs> so sin has brought about sickness and death. And it makes sense, does it not, that if you were to stop doing the thing that's the cause of a thing, the thing would stop happening. In other words, if we learn more perfectly God's design, and as we follow it more perfectly by his grace and power, I'm as powerless as anyone, maybe more powerless than anyone, to obey God. I am, unfortunately, uh, was bequeathed by my uh, family with tremendous pride and self-importance 
think I'm so smart and, and my opinion is better than yours? Maybe you've never met anybody like that. Maybe that's not a description of yourself. It might be closer than you realize, though. But at any rate, it's by God's mercy that he keeps me aware of my utter dependence on him. In fact, you know, Paul prayed, did he not, about his, we believe, his eyesight. And the Lord <laughs> said to him, that's enough. You, this is how you, it's going to be. And it's for your good. Ellen White, writer of the Spirit of Prophecy Writings, she said the Lord kept her in a, how shall I say it, in need of, and aware of her need of him for physical health and healing. So if you have a thorn in the flesh, something that keeps you aware of your weakness, uh, you can honestly praise God for it. You can honestly say, thank you, Lord, that I have a constant reminder that I am finite and you alone are infinite. So my mission and my uh, calling is training, teaching people what God has taught me. You know, there's an amazing statement. I remember when I read it. It was before I became a physician even. I read this statement in the writings of Ellen White. She said that we are obligated to society by every advantage that we have been given. So as I have uh, enjoyed the benefit or whatever of 10 years of education to become a licensed physician, that is not something that I can stick in my pocket. It's something that I have been asked by God to use to help my fellow man. And it has been my privilege, I'm telling you. I, you know what, one of my most exciting things, I see I've got, uh, uh, I got a little more time than I thought I would have, so I'm going to share a story I didn't have in my sermon plan, but I, the most exciting thing that happens in my life, besides when my wife smiles and I can tell she's happy and pleased with life, the second most exciting thing to me is when I am working with a physician, training them in lifestyle medicine, and, the, and you see the light bulb come on, and they're like, Dr. John, this is so well proven. The science is so strong. How can I have been a physician all these years and never heard about this? How, do, how come we don't know about this? I mean, I've had physicians, I've, tra I've been privileged to train people from all over the world, okay? From Saudi Arabia, Lithuania, Singapore, Korea, you, and Chile, and this, I mean, and also in the U.S. And, uh, and the fact is, it doesn't matter where they come from, they still, when they see the results, because I always do a 10-day a, a immersion as part of the training, and they see the results, they are literally blown away. And what happens is, I, in fact, I had one, I, I, I teach a fellowship in lifestyle medicine. I, I as I'll talk about that more this afternoon in detail, but I was privileged by God's grace to have the first Lifestyle Medicine Fellowship that was recognized by the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. And I remember my first physician I trained, she was, had spent her, done her residency at Loma Linda. She was not a Seventh-day Adventist. She was a Christian, really enjoyed it, had gone there because of the Lifestyle Medicine program that they have. And she came then right out of, fellowship, of that into my fellowship. So she was a young physician, um, under 30, 
And I remember one of the assignments I had uh, as part of the training is at the end of your training program, you need to come and present to me orally two patients that you dealt with, that you treated, and how the treatment you gave differed from what you would have done before you learned about lifestyle. So what would you have done the way you knew before and what you did now? And talk to me then about the, you know, compare and contrast. When she came to me, she started talking only a few sentences and she began, I could see tears. She was, she was weeping. She says, Dr. John, I can never practice medicine again the way I was planning to go and do it. She had the experience of seeing supernatural results occur in her patients. She saw people that came in that couldn't walk from the door to this podium without stopping for, for breath because they had congestive heart failure and edema and, and, and so much wrong with them that they thought they were going to die. And, in, and instead, in 10 or 15 days, be walking about, walking miles uh, off of their medication. Yes, we see it routinely. And it transforms you as a physician. You're like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do in medicine. And, and so, I mean, we need surgeons. We need oncologists. We need all of you. But, my friends, we, the remnant people, have the privilege of being the ones who actually see more remission and recovery and reversal than any other occupation, any other medical practice. And so, I mean, if I seem excited, I am excited. I, I, I can't, I can hardly believe that God has allowed me to, to have this experience, to do this. And uh, it's a real blessing and privilege, and it humbles me just thinking about it. So, I've been doing the, this work for some time, and I became aware while I was in um, Michigan, uh, while I was in uh, actually in Pullman working at uh, Country Life, I was there for a year and a half or so, I became aware of a statement in the Spirit of Prophecy about Berrien Springs. And I was quite struck with it, actually. Uh, maybe you're familiar with it. It's, it's um, talking about sanitarium work in Berrien Springs. It's in fourth manuscript releases, page 375. And it says, in due course of time, a sanitarium will be erected at Berrien Springs, not to compete with any other sanitarium, but to help represent our work in clear, straight lines and to give the students an opportunity of learning how to care for the sick. Now, when, I was, uh, when my work at uh, Country Life was uh, over and was changing, and I was uh, actually, uh, it's funny, the COVID changed everybody's life, as you, as you know, but, and mine included, but I was... Um, planning to start doing some health evangelism with pastors in the Michigan conference. Um, and, and so I left that role uh, there at, at Oak Haven. But then COVID hit and things were changed. And so as I was, uh, you know, sort of thinking, okay, well, what, Lord, what do you have in mind? What is it that you have in mind for me to do right now? Because uh, my plans are changed. 
somehow this came to my attention. Now, I don't, uh, I ha- I'm not a builder. I don't have any plans to erect a sanitarium in Bering Springs. But if, I'm, if I understand this correctly, there is indication that this may very well happen in due course of time. And so what I am doing is, uh, is my privilege to be working with Pastor Kelly, your pastor. Uh, no relation, we're Kellys, but we're not, as far as we know, not related. To establish a lifestyle program here in uh, working with the village church. And we're going to, because what we want to do, you know, every doctor who works in lifestyle medicine will tell you the scale of the need is beyond our capacity. You cannot, you cannot have enough lifestyle medicine physicians to take care of all the people that need this. But the Seventh-day Adventist church is full of God's remnant people, people that can do this very work, people who are called to do this work. You are called to do this work, not only me. We are together uh, called to this. And so if we could start a program for training you so that you'd be comfortable how to do this, it's, it's not you that does it, it's God, but you do the natural things the way he instructs, and he then uses them to bring about supernatural results. Isn't that what we read? Do you believe it? I mean, you know, that's, that's the hardest thing. You do realize that's the hardest thing for us, especially as adults. And the more education you have, the harder it is, generally. <laughs> it's a fact. The more, the more education you have, it's like, well, you know. Well, guess what? It's, it's, it's childlike faith that we need, not uh, adult-like education. But anyway, education is a, is a benefit as long as it doesn't get in our way. Well, uh, so in collaboration with Pastor Kelly and, and the Village Church, we are, and your health team, we're putting together, we are organizing, we have organized an immersion program. And I'll be talking about that this afternoon at 3 o'clock. It will be open to those who want to be health guests. But more importantly, it will be used as a training for those who want to enroll and take training and learn how to use these simple natural remedies that, so that God will bring about supernatural results in those we work with. So, um, I'm giving you a personal invitation to join me this afternoon. Um, meanwhile, I want to ask you, as in closing of this sermon, I want to ask you, I want to encourage every one of us to study the counsel and instruction that I've shared with you and ask God how we can best implement it. You know, we often think or act or seem to, to think that we're waiting on God. You know, it's like, okay, when's this second coming going to happen? You know, I mean, I've been here a long time. Uh, excuse me if I seem a little flippant, but sometimes that's if I sound flippant. I'm not, but I'm trying to illustrate, you know, if, if you think that we are waiting on God, you are wrong. We are not waiting on God. God was ready to take us home years ago. The reality is that God is waiting on us. He's waiting on us to step into the water, if you will, to step into the Jordan, to step into the, to the Red Sea, and the waters will part. And I'm talking about my own personal experience. I mean, my wife can attest to it. Just coming here this morning, I was, we were talking and thinking about this, and I was 
Lord, help me to be a person of faith. Help me to be willing to be vulnerable. I mean, we all hate to be made a fool, right? I mean, Jonah's a perfect example. He says, Lord, I knew that if I went and preached, you would save them. And so I looked like a fool. You know, I preached that they were going to be destroyed, and you saved them instead, and so he was all mad. We're all subject to that. And again, the more education and the higher your, higher your rank is, the more you hate to be embarrassed. Friends, we have to be willing to put it on the line. Lord, I'm going to do what you say. Please do what you have promised, and I will step forward in faith. When you were baptized, I assume that everybody or most everyone in the hearing of my voice has been baptized. Wasn't it a faith step? Didn't you decide, yes, this is what I'm going to do, publicly declare my faith? And that's what we actually need to do every step of the way. Every part of this journey is a, a walk of faith. You said it, I'm, I'm going to do it. And what I will assure you, yes, I've had, I've had uh, disappointments, but I can assure you that faith is like a muscle, that as we exercise it, it strengthens. So thank you so much.